Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Studio. Today we are endeavoring to look at the book of Esther. This is another installment in the Women of the Bible series here in the Women's Bible Study Studio. Esther. Esther, a reluctant queen. We have studied the book of Esther many times in our Bible study times. Um, We have learned that Esther was uh, chosen as a queen. When, When I have studied the book of Esther previously, I focused mainly on the end of the account in scripture. That is Haman's wicked plan to annihilate God's people was thwarted by God's divine intervention through Esther. Well, I would like to take some time to take a closer look at some of the events that led up to that preordained rescue of God's people by God himself. Well, as I said, Esther was chosen queen eventually. Many women, even today, long to be queen, queen of their castle, of their household. They long to be queen of their loved one's hearts. Many times, the wife, the mother, is affectionately referred to as the queen, and this denotes that she is loved and respected, and rightly so. Um, Many times, she will expect to be thought of as the queen, as the authority, Um, in our household. Well, but what about Jesus? He is the king, right? He is the king of kings far above any other king or queen for that matter. The book of Esther is not about a woman who was chosen to be queen and who inherited riches, power, and admiration. It's about a uh, an account of God's love and his intervention on behalf of his people. Uh, This includes us. Those who call on the name of the Lord as Savior are God's people or the body of Christ. Now, when we meditate on the book of Esther, we can ask ourselves this question. Is this an account of beauty, romance, and riches? as I asked before, or is it a story of God's salvation and his ability to deliver? This is an account of God's faithfulness to his promises, and we find this recorded in our Bibles. On the surface, this looks like a story of intriguing uh, details resulting in a young woman hitting pay dirt and becoming royalty with all the trappings that go along with it. As I said, the riches, the authority, the power, everything. She had every material possession she could ever desire. Wow, a position of power and authority in which people could admire her, her great beauty. She became queen and had servants to wait on her every whim. Not to mention she was married to the most powerful man in the land, the king Ahasuerus. So, We should think of this, though, with a godly mindset. And in reality, this is an account of Jesus and his power to save his people. And the details leading up to the main event are not so glamorous. It is interesting to note that the name Esther. 
Esther means star. How wonderful it is to know that Jesus himself refers to himself as the star. He refers to himself as the bright and morning star, in fact. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16, he says this. Well, let's take some time to turn in our Bibles and look at the verse of scripture and read it. That's Revelations chapter 22, verse 16. And Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So this is what Jesus says about himself. Now, just as Esther intervened for the Jews in the Persian Empire, Jesus has given us this example to let us know that he has intervened for us. 1 John chapter 2 says this very clearly. Let's turn there. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In this account of scripture, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. How awesome! The Bible says that he is sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. This is his presence before God our Father on our behalf, pleading our case because he died on the cross for our sins in our place. Is that great? That is wonderful. That is an amazing truth. We should listen to God's word, take it personally, and apply it to our lives. So God is there. He is seated on the right hand of the Father. He is um, interceding and pleading on our behalf. He is our substitute. He has given us his righteousness for our sins. Well, let's look at this a little further. Now let's turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that has risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So we are, uh, we are taken care of. We are in good hands. Jesus has kept us. We are in God's hands. Esther, however, was brought to the king's house against her will and subjected to the king's pageant, if you will, I've heard it referred to. Well, they gathered up all these young virgins in the land, brought them to the king's house so that he could decide who would replace Vashti. And if you remember from reading the account in scripture, Vashti was his first wife. She refused order of the king. She refused to attend a banquet at his request 
and he decided at the uh, recommendation of his advisors to uh, banish her from the kingdom. So he would not uh, entertain her presence anymore after that incident. Well, Jesus um, was sent to the cross to die for our sins. However, I did say that. Um, And he was crowned king of kings. Um, And God sent him to the cross. And he did that in obedience to save save us from our sins. Um, We have to to recognize that uh, Esther is a type of Christ, if you want to say it that way. Um, She actually intervened on behalf of the Jewish people in the land of Persia, where Ahasuerus was king. The account begins, and we have Ahasuerus at his banquet, and Vashti at her banquet. So she had a banquet simultaneously and she was in another part of the castle, if you will, attending her banquet with her people. Vashti was summoned by the king to appear before him and his princess at the royal banquet. She refused. And this began a series of events that banished her, as I said, from the kingdom and eventually got her replaced with another queen, that being Esther. Was Vashti's refusal to appear before the king and his princes improper? Vashti's refusal was was wise, as we can determine uh, by the end of this account in scripture, because the king's dignity, as well as her own, was in jeopardy. Uh, The request was improper and out of the norm for um, royalty at that time. So she could tell um, this request was spurred on by the king's drunken revelry and was not proper protocol. So Vashti refused. What was the outcome of her refusal? Well, the king's response to her refusal was angry, prideful, and later, not without regret. Eventually, the king realized his behavior was severe and unreasonable, and unfortunately, at that time, by then, it was irrevocable. The king was without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and therefore, he was without God's wisdom or the fruit of the Spirit. So we can pray, um, however, for the indwelling Spirit to teach us and lead us in the way that we should go. I will instruct thee and I will teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye, God says. This is Psalm 32, verse 8. God promises to keep us from all evil. That's Psalm 23, 13. And obviously, Ohasuerus and Haman, as we will uh, be introduced to him in a little bit, um, his right-hand man, quote-unquote, Um, did not have God's spirit to help them to make their decisions. Let's turn to the book of John, John 17, verse 12. John 17, verse 12 says, Jesus Christ has kept all those who love him, those of us who have been given 
to him by God the Father. Let's read the scripture. John 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Amen. So Jesus said, I have kept them in thy name, O God. Those that you have given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. That the scripture might be fulfilled. So we have been preordained, predestined to be kept by Jesus Christ. And it was all God's doing. What does God tell us about uh, responding to the king, however? Let's go back and take a look at Esther. The king has summoned Esther to the banquet. Uh, Esther, I'm sorry, the king has summoned Vashti to the banquet. Vashti uh, did not think the request was proper, did not think that she should attend the king's banquet, was an improper request. So she refused. What does this tell us about responding to the king is a good question. In reading Romans chapter 13, 1 through 8, we can see that God has ordained governments. And we have governments today. Um, Today, we do not have kings, however, not in this country. Um, Recently, this country has elected a new president. He was just inaugurated. The uh, government officials in this country are accountable to God, not just the law, for the the governing of the land. Well, let's read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. It says, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be ordained of God the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do good. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same for he is the minister of God he is a minister of God to thee for good but if thou do that which is evil be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain for he is a minister of God a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil so I guess you could interpret this passage as an admonition to do Whatever the government tells you to do, it isn't. Verse 3 says that rulers are not a terror to good works. So those of us who do not commit evil, first of all, do not have to be afraid of a government, a king, a ruler, a president, um, a law enforcement officer, or any government official. The Bible says here that they are ministers of God for good. This means that their actions and their decisions should result in good. 
any unwise, ungodly, or illegal advice or actions are not to be heeded. So um, we see here the government has um, the authority of God. Uh, They actually have authority in the land. So they preside and rule over God's people. They preside and rule over the land. Whether you uh, call on God or Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So how does this apply to Esther the Queen? She um, was given a request by the king. He demanded she attend the banquet. She refused. Well, um, it looks as though that was a, a divine appointment or predestination for Vashti. Um, Vashti refused the queen, the king's uh, request. The king's request was not appropriate. The queen had no reason uh, to fear the king in this regard. I'm sure she had some apprehension, um, but this is what she decided. And in fact, God decided uh, for her. She was used by God. Um, most likely she didn't realize it. Government officials are a terror to those who are intent on committing crimes. Law-abiding citizens, however, find no reason to fear the government if, in fact, they are employing their office as a minister of God or in the proper protocol as a government official. So, Fashi refused the request and um, the king deemed it to be unwise. Well, as a result of Vashti's refusal, his princes and advisors um, saw this as a threat. How real was the threat of the women in the land in Persia disrespecting um, the princess because Vashti refused to appear before the king at the banquet? Was this a real threat? Um, Would that action cause massive discord with the women? Um, the women in the, the country. Um, Esther 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 16 and 19 says um, that it, they thought it was. And in some respects, I'm sure it was. Um, was the king reacting rashly when he banished Vashti um, from the kingdom? Was there a real threat to his authority? Um, the words used in reference to this um, line of thought um, to the women's possible response to Vashti's refusal would be to despise the princes, to despise authority, show contempt and wrath uh, to the authority in the land. Well, let's read it together. Esther chapter 1, let's start at verse 17 and read to verse 20. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes uh, when this should be reported. The king Asuerus commanded Vashti, the queen, to be brought before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say that this day unto all the king's princes, which have um, heard of the deed of the queen, 
Thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered. That Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the uh, king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree which he had made shall be uh, published throughout all of his empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both great and small. And the same pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memucan. For he sent letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. I would like to take a moment to thank this podcast platform for the opportunity to present this content. Anchor FM. Anchor is a technology advanced and innovative creation tool. If you have anything you want to say, Anchor is the way to go. The app has everything you need. Just bring your content and your enthusiasm. It's all there. Anchor will even help you find sponsors to monetize your podcast. How great is that? Visit the App Store or visit Anchor FM to download the Anchor app to get started right away. Welcome back to Women of the Bible. Esther, a reluctant queen. Thank you for tuning in to the Women's Bible Study Studio. We will continue our study in the book of Esther. We have taken a look at the first chapter and uh, Vashti was replaced by Esther as queen by Ahasuerus the king of Shushan in Persia. And we want to take a look at the second chapter because um, this chapter has the account of how Esther gained favor with the king and it also says she gained favor with others as well. Let's look and see how this is applicable to our lives today. Let's turn to the second chapter of Esther. And in the second chapter, verses 15 through 17, says that Esther gained favor of everyone, including the king. Now, the king had, at the advice of his advisors, um, gathered women throughout the land, young virgins, to, um, to the king's palace. And he was to select a new queen from these young women. Um, It says, as I stated before, Esther gained favor, um, gained the favor of the king. 
Let's look at verse 15. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, Mordecai did, was come unto the king. She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. Okay, so Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus into his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. So we see here that Esther was called to take audience with the king and... um, It said she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, appointed. So he was a keeper of the women. They had um, at least two houses for the women there and um, over 400 women there. Um, So Esther, finally her turn um, came. So she was to go and see this king. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's go on and see what the rest of this passage says. And the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she found grace and favor in his sight more than all of the other virgins. So he placed the royal crown upon her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. So here we see that the king has chosen Esther to replace Vashti and um, she has found his, found his favor. Well, God has crowned Esther for a purpose. He crowned her queen for a purpose. And we too can know that we have God's favor on our lives. God has a purpose for our lives. We can know that God will act on our behalf and open doors to present us with opportunities. We have favor with God and favor with man because Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Later in the book, in Esther chapter 5, we see the king's favor for Esther again. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, and we will get to this part um, a little later, but she had found that Haman, will be introduced to him as well, had hatched a wicked plan and she went to see the king to let him know. Well, she wasn't invited and that meant she was at risk. She could even lose her life. But she decided that she was gonna go to the king and if she perished, she perished. She found the king extended the golden scepter, which was the sign that she could um, come into his presence she would not be executed and she found favor with the, the king well God who is our king promises to give us his favor his goodwill toward us his acceptance of us his delight and pleasure in us and to bless us and to do all according to his, his own will for us we see another woman in the scriptures that found great favor with God and we too would do well to pray and receive God's 
wonderful favor as well. Luke chapter 1 verse 30 says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, found favor with God. Now this was um, Mary who was being informed that she was going to give birth to Jesus, a baby boy, um, and the angel um, visited her to let her know she had found God's favor. Luke verse 30, chapter 1. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. We, like Esther and Mary, the mother of Jesus, have God's favor. We can find evidence of God's favor throughout the scriptures. But let's take a look at another account of scripture where we can find that we as God's people have God's favor. Let's look at Psalm chapter 30, Psalm 30, verse 5. 30 verse 5. We're in the book of Psalms. It says we have God's favor forever. For his anger endureth but a moment and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for night, but joy cometh in the morning. Well, praise God, he has turned our morning into dancing. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for your favor. We can know that we can do anything that God has called us to do because he has placed his favor on us and in our lives. Exodus chapter 3, verse 5 says, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. This is awesome. This is the nation of Israel. They were being led um, away from Egypt, out of Egypt, to the promised land and they were going through the wilderness but this is what it is they were um going to to as i said the promised land but god saw fit that they should not leave empty they had been in slavery 400 years in egypt and moses and aaron uh, went to pharaoh to let him know that god said let my people go Well, Pharaoh was also becoming increasingly uh, afraid of uh, these Hebrews. And they were multiplying and he didn't know what to do with them. They were, um, they had become a threat. So he made their labor vigorous and made them labor with rigor, the scripture says. So they had to... He just made it more difficult for them to uh, do the things that they were uh, tasked to do there. Um, But uh, he finally, after the plagues, the ten plagues, uh, let the people go. But God saw fit to make sure they did not go away empty-handed. So they went um, away with spoil. Jesus has come to set us free from destruction as well. We can give up our 
empty lives um, without him and receive him as our Lord and Savior, follow him and receive the blessings of eternal life. So it may seem at times that we are giving up um, a lot of things, uh, fame, fortune, freedom to do whatever we want to do. And sometimes the Christian faith can look like it's a bunch of regulations and rules. It is not. Jesus has come to set us and set us free and given us his favor. Just as the Israelites experienced blessing during their exodus from Egypt, we can know we can experience God's favor and blessing even in times of adversity. Well, Luke 2, 52 says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, we have been admonished to look at Jesus as our example. And Jesus um, knew from the time he was a child that he was called by God um, for a special assignment. He, um, even as a child, and I believe this was about 12 years old, he um, went missing and his parents couldn't find him. They did finally find him and he wanted to know why they didn't know where he would be. He was in the house of God. He was in the synagogue about his father's business is the way he put it. But um, from there, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I've always taken that as a personal admonition to remember that um, God is with me and he will increase me in favor he will increase me in wisdom and even as you mature in age and mature in your emotionality um even as we mature and even when we are young we are young people we're growing older we're getting more mature we can experience the increase and from glory to glory, from faith to faith, God's wisdom and the favor, his favor. And he definitely gives us favor with man. So thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. Thank you for your favor. Okay, well, let's take a look at Haman now. Haman was an Agagite, a descendant of the Amalekites with a bitter history with the Jews. And Haman is a central figure in the account of Esther. So um, if you've read to the end of Esther, then you will know that Haman was a central figure. Um, As I said, Haman was an Agagite. Now, Agag was a king. He was the king of the Amalekites. And as I said, um, the Amalekites had a bitter history with the Jews. Haman is like the devil. He is an adversary of the Jewish people. Um, The devil is is our adversary. The Bible says that. 
the enemy of our souls who wants to destroy us. Haman desired to destroy the Jews. And um, the focus passage of this study uh, today is Esther 3, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Let's take a look at those uh, verses and look what Haman did. It says, And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took off his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamedetha, the the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. Okay, so the king took off his ring, gave it to Haman, and um, the king said unto Haman, the silver is given to thee or you can keep the silver the people also i'll give you the people to keep the silver to do you can do with them as it seemeth good to thee so um this is what transpired between haman and the king concerning haman's desire to destroy the jewish people exodus chapter 17 Verses 13 through 17 tells us more about this history between uh, the Amalekites and the Jewish people, Israelites, and why the Jewish people were in the land. The children of Israel had been let go by Pharaoh. If you remember at God's command through Moses and Aaron, and after they let, after Pharaoh let the people go, they were wandering in the wilderness and had crossed the Red Sea. So uh, God led them through the Red Sea, leading them through the wilderness, and they were complaining once again. This time, uh, they doubted God and questioned whether God had brought them out of the wilderness to die of thirst. Before, it was hunger. God used Moses to provide water from a rock at Horeb, Uh, After they complained of thirst, he had also provided them quail and manna at their request. So here is Israel again. Um, So they were in the wilderness. They were uh, traveling through the wilderness. They had been let go by the Pharaoh. Um, They left Egypt, headed to the promised land. And um, let's see what verse verse 8 says in Exodus 17. It says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Amalek, the the Amalekites, um, confronted Israel. And um, this started a bitter history. Let's read a little further. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write for this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of 
Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner or my victory. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Uh, This is a quote from a Christian commentary regarding this history. When an altar was built as a memorial, the purpose would, would be helped by name, which would tend to keep the event commemorated in remembrance. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner would uh, tell all who heard the word that here there had been a struggle and that the that a people which worshiped Je- uh, Jehovah had been victorious. The banner is Jehovah himself under whose protection Israel had fought and conquered. So we see here that the Amalekites uh, went to war against Israel this started a bitter history between Israel and the Amalekites. God brought them the victory. Moses built an altar there. And from there, we can know, as Moses uh, stated, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. He built that altar and called the name of the altar Jehovah Nisi. That is um, one of the names of God. The Lord is my banner or my victory. Um, so we can know that God will, um, the battle is the Lord's, not ours, not mine, not yours. The battle is the Lord's. So um, we see here, this is Haman's, um, these are Haman's descendants. This is uh, Haman's line of uh, his lineage. Um, So he came from that lineage with a bitter history with the Jewish people and um, he did not, he did not like the Jews. So uh, Haman gained, well, Haman gained the king's confidence, but this is obvious. Um, The king promoted Haman and gave him a higher position than all the other officials in the land. How did... uh, how did Haman gain this confidence and trust from the king? Esther 3 and 1 tells us. It tells us, after these things uh, did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadetha, Hamadetha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Ahasuerus was not a good king. Research has referred to him as a despot or someone who would be considered a tyrant or someone who would be considered a dictator cruel and oppressive and obviously Ahasuerus was ignorant at times of his own actions his own behavior it was obvious that uh, his decision to promote Haman was fueled out of his Self, his self, his self will, his knowledge, his power, and his position. Um, Haman, it seems, was quite similar to uh, Hazarus. Could possibly be. 
no excuse. Neither had excuse. They ruled in um, a way that was against God and and ungodly. Um, One commentary I read on the subject um, is that Haman is a sharp contrast to Mordecai. And this is very obvious when reading Esther. It goes on to say that he is a type of unworthy character that climb or crawl to power in a despotic monarchy, vindictive, arrogant, cunning, totally oblivious of the good of the subjects, using his position for his own advantage and ferociously cruel. He had naturally not noticed the erect figure among the crowd of abject ones. This means he did not notice um, Mordecai until it was brought to, Mordecai was brought to his attention. We can laugh at Haman's evilness. It seems very uh, fictional, if you will. Um, but um, we can only do this because we are in the safety of Jesus' blood. But um, he, uh, his condition, Haman's condition, is exactly why Jesus came and died. He came to the earth in the flesh. He died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Satan is opposed to God in that same way, in that he wishes that all men would do the opposite of what God commands. This is his desire. This is his aim. This is his work. This is what he wants. This is what he does. This is what he wishes. He accuses men before God continually because he would like it to be true. But it's not. Satan is a created being. He was created by God. He hates God. He fell from heaven like lightning, the scripture says, because he decided to, that he wanted, well, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like God and he didn't like that he wasn't. So, and all that entailed. So, um, as I said, King Ahasuerus was considered a harsh king. So his choice of Haman to a position above all others would not surprise us. King Ahasuerus made an edict to annihilate the Jewish people at the prompting of Haman. Ahasuerus indicates in the Bible account that um, it, uh, that the promise to pay 10,000 talents of silver was not necessary. He told Haman to keep the silver. Um, some scholars think it was offered to offset a loss of taxes that would have been paid by the Jewish people if they had not been destroyed. So these Jewish people were paying taxes. They were creating an income for the kingdom. And if they were all annihilated, annihilated, then um, so the, the taxes would be as well. Although the king rejected Haman's offer for the silver, he agreed to the destruction of the Jews. Haman's desire to annihilate the Jews um, that were dispersed throughout the land was not God. Haman did not like the Jews, as we said. This is obvious. He did not like their customs, their devotion to God, 
their practices, prayer, devotion, um, the Bible or the Word of God, and uh, communicating that to others did not like it. He did not like their reverence to God. He wanted to kill all the Jews. So he would therefore have eliminated, if in fact God had allowed him to kill the Jews, all of them, he would have eliminated Jesus' lineage. And he would have uh, eliminated Jesus himself. This was not God's plan. So we know God's plan was to have Jesus to come to the earth to save us. Why were the Jews living dispersed within the king's provinces is a good question to ask. And all this information that we've just gone through indicates um, the reason. They were taken captive to Persia, forced from Jerusalem, even though they were warned, they were warned by the prophets to repent. To repent or this would happen. And it did. Let's look again at what the Bible states in reference to Mordecai in this particular situation it says uh, in Esther chapter 2 verse 6 who indicating Mordecai had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with uh, Jeconiah king of Judah whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away carried away from Jerusalem carried away captive by the king of Babylon to Persia. Esther chapter 3 says, I'll read it again. And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the laws, the king's laws, that is. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. So there we have read again the offer, the problem, as Haman thought, the problem and his offer to uh, fix the problem. When Israel returned from captivity... Back to Jerusalem, some of the Jews decided to remain in Persia. That's what they were doing there. Apparently, they were more comfortable there. Many of the Jews had gained wealth there. They had a social standing. They had a community um, while in captivity in Persia. And some of them did not see an advantage to returning to Jerusalem. Let's read 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 25. Another account in the Bible. I encourage you to turn there to look at that passage of scripture. I encourage you to read the entire book of Esther. To read supporting scripture. Um, And 2 Kings is one of the supporting scriptures. So you can take notes and read the supporting scripture. And um, read your your Bible. It is um, an awesome thing to do to learn the Bible, to know God more fully. Um, Second Kings supports the uh, scripture. Um, the account of Esther is what it is. So Second Kings chapter 25. Um, let's read verses 1 and 2. 
And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, and he and all his host against Jerusalem, and pitched against it. And they built forts against it round about. The city was besieged until the eleventh year of Zedekiah. So it says it came to pass in his reign, the tenth month, the day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he and all his hosts encamped against uh, Jerusalem and they attacked this city and they did that from the ninth year, it says to the eleventh year for two years. Not good. Nehemiah can give us a little more insight. Let's turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and as I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were uh, left of the captivity, and uh, asked them concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. So Jerusalem was destroyed. They were in captivity, Nebuchadnezzar took them captive. Ba- ba- uh, the king of Babylon, they were taken to uh, Persia. So the Jews now who have remained in Persia um, did so of their own accord, accord, apparently. There may be a few for various reasons that could not return, but like, like I said, um, they had gained some privileges there and uh, did not want to return. One commentary states, for though many of their brethren were returned to their own land, which is Jerusalem, yet great numbers of them stayed behind in Persia, either because they preferred their ease and worldly advantages before their spiritual profit, or they wanted conveniences or opportunity for removing We too, however, we, the body of Christ, can feel as though we are in a strange land. We can imagine them being carried away from Jerusalem to Persia, um, a strange land. The Bible says we are strangers. We are sojourners here temporarily until Jesus, Jesus returns for his church. We are looking forward to Jesus' return. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are strangers here, meaning that we... Do not belong to this earth. Earth is not our true home. We are here to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are here to um, communicate God's love to others. And that is through the gospel. The children of Israel returned to Jerusalem. And the, uh, Nehemiah, the governor, after surveying the land in Jerusalem, decided that it would be time to rebuild the wall, the temple. God laid that on his heart. Nehemiah, along with the priest, also endeavored to reinstate the law of God. So he called all the people together 
to read the word of the Lord. Ezra did. This was done in order to restore the people back to a relationship with God and to reinstitute the word of God. Um, So Ezra chapter 7 supports this fact. Ezra 7.27 says, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's Azarer's heart. So we see here, Azarer agreed to this. Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, went to the king to get approval for this. And uh, uh, Azarer agreed, put it in his heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of the, out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Ezra was one of those people. Um, and we can be inspired by that and see God is involved in every aspect of um, our lives, of civilization, of community. Um, and this is a good example of governments. Um, we see, yes, um, that the president has advisors and um, ministers are advisors to the president and that is for a purpose. Um, so we see the relationship between Ezra and between Ezra and Nehemiah for the good of the people of Israel. It is interesting as a side note to note that the nation of Israel um, was divided into two kingdoms and um, endeavoring to uh, know more about the history of the nation of Israel and um, Esther is a good book that uh, delves into that the history, the biblical history of um, the nation of Israel um, and we as as God's people. But a side note is that the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms after the death of Solomon. You know, Solomon was David's son and he was given the throne um, by David. He succeeded David after David's death. Um, now, this dividing into two kingdoms was because most of Israel's subjects disagreed with Solomon's um, extravagance. He was unwise, very extravagant. As you know, Solomon um, is noted as um, the richest king ever. He is, his wealth and his wisdom were very, very extravagant and, um, yes, expansive. Um, But he was known to have unwise and extravagantly unwise and oppressive practices. We do know that he had um, a thousand wives and concubines and they led him away from his... um, devotion to uh, God the Father. Well, because of this, they refused to follow Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who succeeded Solomon. Judah um, then decided to um, divide, divided into two kingdoms. 
because of this, they uh, this is Judah, well, Judah and Benjamin um, formed one tribe, and Jerusalem was the capital city. Samaria uh, was the capital of Israel, capital city. Um, and the capital um, was designated by Amri, the king. So we have uh, Israel divided into two kingdoms. That is the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And this is why these two kingdoms were divided. Haman's plot to annihilate all the Jews including Esther, was discovered by Mordecai, who sent word to Esther, who requested an audience with the king. She requested the king and Haman to attend a banquet. Once at the king's, at the queen's banquet, she requested that they join her again the next day at, at another banquet, and she would then reveal her request. At the second banquet, Esther informed the king that Haman had plotted to annihilate the Jews. Well, um, Haman was requested to this king, qu- queen's banquet, um, and you can imagine um, what Haman thought. His response, the scripture says, to the queen's request demonstrated pride. He informed his wife and family. Um, of this great honor bestowed upon him by Queen Esther's invitation to the banquet. He recounted his glorious riches and he spoke of his wonderful children, how he had been honored with promotion by the king as well, but he still could not forget um, Mordecai. Mordecai, who in his devotion to God, who would not bow to him, and how Mordecai responded to him at the city gates. Well, um, Haman's wife suggested that Haman have Mordecai hang on a gallows, build a a gallows 50 feet high, and then go go on with the banquet and have a merry time. That was her suggestion. So he did it. Well, um, later after... Esther made a request for the king to attend the banquet with Haman. The king had found he could not sleep that night. He asked a royal uh, associate to come to his chambers and bring the royal documents to read to him. He discovered that Mordecai interrupted a plot to kill kill the king. He was never Mordecai was never acknowledged for this. And or he was never rewarded for the good deed. He had called for Haman, who happened to be, of all people, in an outer court. He asked Haman to suggest a proper honor for someone who had uh, done something really great. And um, Haman did. Was this a coincidence? that Haman was in the outer court um, and that Mordecai was the honoree. Haman did not realize it. It wasn't. 
God positioned Haman near the king in an, in an outer court. Haman mistakenly thought that he was going to be the person to be honored. He later found out it was his enemy, the man he did not like, he despised, he hated. Mordecai was the one to be honored. Well, um, Mordecai did do something. Um, he did something good for the king. He did something um, that protected the king, and he did so without being uh, rewarded or acknowledged for it. Have you ever been um, ignored? Have you ever been faithful to God and seemingly um, unnoticed? Well, do not become weary in well-doing, for you will reap if you faint not. That's Galatians 6 and 9. This is a promise from God we can know God will keep. Know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So we can see that Mordecai was faithful to God and refused to dishonor God by bowing to Haman. We can know that even something that would be seemingly insignificant, we are not. We are not insignificant. Do not let anyone despise your youth. Do not let anyone despise the day of small beginnings. Do not, do not let anyone despise your giftedness, the operation, or the administration of your gift. God gives your gifts severally as he wills. There are no big gifts. There are no greater gifts. There are no gifts that are more important than others. The only thing would be if, in fact, you are given to uh, despising or dishonoring someone's gift or the operation of your gift, Maybe that you are not responding properly to God. So uh, we should be careful how we speak to people. We should be careful how we regard people's gifts, how we regard people's operation of the gifts when they're speaking, when they are teaching, when they are ministering, when they are um, doing things for God's people, doing things in the house of God, in the communities. Um, and people do not like to, to be admonished. They do not like to hear these things. But you should know this is a word from the Lord. Do not despise someone's gift. Do not despise someone's youth. God is saying this is wrong and that you should not do it. And um, I know many of you have heard these things and sometimes these things go unheeded. People will ignore it, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. So our labor in vain is not, our labor is not in vain. As I said, our labor is not in vain. We will um, encounter opposition. And in my experience, I had not encountered much, much opposition. Many of us have a church home and we have um, come to maturity in our church homes. We have been brought up in our church 
churches and um, have been allowed by God to minister there um, and have not really had the opportunity to experience opposition. I have, in fact, have more recently experienced opposition. Um, Much of it is, I don't know, um, sometimes it's in ignorance, sometimes it's out of anger, sometimes um, it's because we don't see another way to do things. We have to look to God and pray and ask him for his wisdom, for ways to um, confront situations that may not be godly or pleasing or what we think is right there are injustices in the world there are things that you know we are we know some things are not right and we know people know that they are not the lord promises us that we should pray we should pray and not faint we should keep doing what is right and we will reap good if we faint not Our labor is not in vain. My labor is not in vain. Well, um, God used Haman to honor Mordecai, his faithfulness. So Mordecai was finally honored when the king happened upon this. He didn't know how that Mordecai would have not been honored for that. So um, God used Haman to honor Mordecai. In fact, when um, Haman planned to eliminate Mordecai. How awesome. We have God's preservation and protection. And Father, we depend on you to intercede for us, just as you did for Mordecai. Well, as I said, there were two banquets to which Esther invited the king and Haman. At the second second banquet, Esther told the king that um, Haman was the person who planned to annihilate the Jews king was wroth. Haman feared for his life at this point and begged the queen to spare him. The king left the room in anger, went to the outer court. The king returned to find Haman. He was brought out on the queen, begging for his life. The king commanded that Haman and his sons be hanged on the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai. The Bible then tells us in Esther chapter 8 verse 7, Then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman and hanged, and he and him they have hanged upon the gallows because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Esther 8.17 says, And in every province and in every city, whithsoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness and a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. And Mordecai uh, wrote these things, verse uh, twenty. verse 22 states in Esther chapter 9 and Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus both nigh and far to establish this among them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly as the days wherein the Jews rested 
from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from the joy from joy from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor so the Jews instituted the feast of Purim as a result of God's intervention the Bible says Esther sent a second letter so they had they got two letters um, the, the last scripture in the 10th chapter of the book of Esther um, Esther chapter 10 verse 3 says Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus so Mordecai was promoted to the position next to the king and um, great among the Jews he was great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren um, he, seek, he was seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed so this was Mordecai's position at the end of this account. So the book of Esther is an account of God's sovereignty. Esther taken captive to uh, the king's palace, uh, taken to the king's house. She was um, not unable to ref- refuse these direct orders of the king. So it was not a pretty sight. It was not a pretty picture. We do see a different account of Esther quite frequently. The queen, of course, the king, he was... The Bible says he had um, a land, a rule, a kingdom that went from India to um, from Egypt. Was it Egypt to India? He had a vast kingdom. Um, however, God preserved Esther and the Jewish um, people. So she was the king's queen, and um, she had all this wealth, all this. But it was not a pretty picture. God had to intervene. And when he did, um, he saved the Jewish people and therefore saved us. So um, we can know that God is in charge and God is in control. We can be admonished by Haman's account in scripture. We can know that God is faithful and we can trust in God through Esther's account in scripture, through Mordecai's account. And we can know that our labor is not in vain. Mordecai ministered there in the um, land of Persia. He was, um, he ministered to Esther as Esther's parent. He was Esther's cousin. Um, Esther was an orphan. He also ministered to the king. He was rewarded so was Esther and the the Jewish people were saved so we can um, find joy as uh, the book of Esther says we have uh, joy we can um, know that our sorrow has been turned to joy because Jesus Christ has come and has come to save us and I would say if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you would do that the Bible says if you confess with your mouth believe in your heart that God's raised Jesus from the dead thou shalt be saved so um, do it receive Jesus Christ accept him he hears you when you cry out to him so um, 
we can complicate things at times. They're not so complicated. Um, If you have a desire in your heart for God, God put it there. And he put it there for a reason. So pray to him imperfectly, if you will, at times. Get a Bible, read it, and um, be thankful. So let's pray. In light of all we have studied today in the book of Esther. God, we have seen in your word that we are to trust you, God, to bring the victory in any circumstance. We, the people of your um, kingdom, um, trust you, God. Israel had to trust you to save them from Haman's evil plot. You have planned to save Israel and to preserve Jesus' lineage to save me, a person born to parents in a specific year and on a specific day. We all were born a specific year, a specific day. You plan specifically to um, bring each one of us onto this earth. Specifically, we each have a day, a birthday. And um, we can know that we can trust you, God, to preserve us. You brought us here for a reason to this earth. We can trust you to protect us in these uncertain times. We may uh, not face a Haman, quote-unquote. You've put the love of God in our hearts, Lord, and many times we do not face a Haman. We enjoy um, security in this nation. Um, There are many nations that can't even read the Bible, Lord. But um, you have preserved us and protected us. And these are uncertain times that we are facing now with the uh, pandemic Um, the coronavirus. We are trusting you, God. Um, The world is changing. Um, We have had many changes. Um, The way we are working, um, the way we get together um, with each other to fellowship, um, and the way we communicate has changed. We do a lot of things virtually. Um, There's a lot of been up and a lot of innovations. A lot of it has been expected, and um, you have seen fit that we have been prepared for a lot of it, but we still are charged to trust you, and we know, Father, um, that we cannot always um, plan for everything, And but we know that you, Father, are unchangeable, you are immutable, just like your word says, and we can trust you as we uh, face it all, as we work through it all, as we... um, as we see um, these changes take place. We thank you, Father, that your word is what it is, God. Your word um, is settled in heaven forever. You are unchangeable. Your word is unchangeable, and we trust you. Thank you, Father, for working in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for growing us up. Thank you, Father, for maturing us spiritually. We thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.